0: Amen. Good job, orchestra. Thank you all. Thank you, choirs, children's choir, 412, adult choir, for leading our worship this morning. And uh, thank you for being here. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Would you just bow your heads this morning? And, you know, Sonny mentioned something in his uh, prayer, uh, offertory prayer, about just being still and quiet. Why don't you just do that? Just ask the Lord to still your heart and your mind. So I'm sure at this time of the year, your mind is a lot like mine, racing and running about all the things that you need to do. But right now, that's not the time to worry about those things. So ask the Lord to still your heart, calm your mind, give you peace. Ask Him to speak to you this morning. Lord, we're uncomfortable with silence. We think we always have to be listening to something, watching something, hearing something, seeing something, saying something. We're hardly ever quiet unless we're sound asleep. Lord, help us to be still and to know that you're God. Help us to practice stillness and quietness throughout this season and throughout our lives. that We might hear that still, small voice of yours speaking to us. Lord, in this moment, in these next few minutes, take your word and by the power of your spirit, touch our hearts with it. Encourage us comfort us convict us and transform us you've given that kind of power to your word and i pray that it would accomplish all that you send it to accomplish today lord for anyone here today that's not saved they're not ready to die or they're not ready for you to come God, I pray that by the end of this service today that they will make that decision to give their life to you. So God, we give you the praise and the glory for who you are, for what you've done for us through Jesus Christ. We worship and adore him. We celebrate him and by the power of your spirit, we lift him up today. And we ask you, Lord Jesus, to draw all of us to you. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. We have two more messages in this series, Overcomer. As we are going to finish up John 17. You remember John 14, 15, and 16. This is Jesus' time alone with his disciples. He's preparing them for his departure from this world. He spent three years with them. He's trained them. He's taught them. He's uh, displayed God's power and glory to them. And now he's about to leave them. And he wants them to understand some things about this world and how to live in this world and how to carry on his mission once he leaves. And uh, it's been said that John 16, is the summation verse of this whole four chap- or three-chapter discourse where Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, you will have trouble. He wants us to expect it, to know it's coming. And uh, it's been said that you're either in trouble, headed into trouble, or just coming out of trouble. And I would imagine that's probably the experience of most of us here this morning, whether we like it or not. But Jesus said, but be of good cheer, or fear not, I have overcome the world. And we looked at uh, some things we needed to remember in this context. We looked at some things we needed to resolve. And uh, God is taught us, I think, over the last several couple of months as we've been in this series about how we can be overcomers because Jesus Christ is an overcomer. In John chapter 17, this is the prayer that Jesus is praying. After he spent the time with his disciples in the upper room and now he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's gone a little bit farther than his disciples and he's praying alone by himself and he's praying for us. And he's asked the Lord some things for us, and we've looked at those things, and so we've come to this next thing that the Lord is asking the Father for, to help us to be an overcomer. And it's quite interesting that we are at this point, at this time of the year, because what Christmas is, Christmas is about Jesus Christ coming, right? Isn't that what we celebrate at Christmas? Jesus Christ coming to earth as a man, as a baby who grew to be a man? Well, this place we come to today in John 17, verse 24, Jesus is talking about his coming again. And he prays for us. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. Now, I wanted to break that down phrase by phrase this morning. Listen to what he says. He says, Father, I desire... You ever think about Jesus having desires, wants, wishes? Have you ever brought any of your wants and wishes and, to the Lord? Not Santa Claus, but to the Lord? Lord, this is what I desire, this is what I want. You ever thought about the Lord having desires? Well... The only other time Jesus used the phrase, I desire, is in Luke twenty-two fifteen, 15. When he told his disciples, he said, I have desired to eat this Passover with you, the last supper. And what he's saying is, I have desired to spend this last intimate moment with you before I leave. So only two times do we see in all of the New Testament where Jesus used this phrase, I desire. And he used it in context of this, I desire that they be with me. And we're going to talk about that. So let me ask you this. What do you desire above all else? Think about that for just a moment. What do you desire above all else in your heart? You know the truth and God knows the truth. What is it that you want more than anything else in this world? David, King David said this. In Psalm 73 25, whom have I in heaven but thee? And there's none upon earth I desire besides thee. David says, None one in heaven, no one on earth. Nothing in heaven, nothing in earth do I desire more than you. May that be true of me? May that be true of you? That God would be our number one desire. And that would be lived out. If it were true, it would be lived out, right? I mean, you typically live for what you want. You typically make time for what you want, right? What you really want is what you make time for. You say no to the things you don't really want to do or the, what you don't want to spend your money on. But if it's your ultimate desire, if it's what drives you, that's what you live for. So that's why I say be honest. What is it that you want more than anything in this world? If you could get one thing for Christmas, what would it be? Haggai chapter 2 verse 7 calls Jesus the desire of all nations. You know what you really want? You know what we really want? We just don't realize it. You know what God made us to really desire more than anything else? It, it, it's Him. He made us to want and desire Him. And that, that, that Him is the only thing that will fit that void that you have in your life right now. You're trying to fill a a square, you're trying to take a square peg and fit it into a round hole. You're trying to take something that doesn't fit and cram it into your life. And you're wondering why your life is meaningless and purposeless and and it's not going anywhere where there's only one thing that we need and that's Jesus Christ. You remember, I don't know if you've ever watched the series of the movies, um, Pirates of the Caribbean, Anybody? Or am I the only reprobate in the congregation? It is one of my favorite movie series because I love old historical things. Not that it's very historically accurate, but it's just entertaining. But you remember Captain Jack Sparrow, right? What did he possess that uh, told him something special? He had a compass. And there was something special about that compass. It didn't always just point true north, did it? Who can tell me what that compass always pointed to? Yes, ma'am, Natalie? To To what they wanted the most. That compass pointed, whoever was holding that compass, it pointed to whatever they wanted the most. Now, suppose you have Captain Jack Sparrow's compass in your hand. Where would it be pointing right now? It doesn't lie. It always tells the truth. It doesn't point north, south, east, or west. It points to what you want the most. Where would your compass be pointing? I'll tell you something about this verse, about this phrase. Jesus' compass points to you. It's you he wants more than anything else. Only two times in Scripture does He say, I desire anything. And in both contexts, it's about His disciples, His followers. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? I desire. Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 10, says, I am my beloved's and His desire is towards me. Have you ever thought that Jesus desires you? You say, how can He desire me? I've done things so many times to disappoint Him. I've defiled myself in different ways. I I don't live a good life, or I, I haven't lived a good life, and I don't deserve Him wanting me, but He does. He desires you. Think about that. In fact, it would be good for you to say that to yourself. Jesus desires me above all else. Now, here's a man, or who was God, who is God, who came to earth as a little baby. He was King of kings and still is Lord of lords before he ever left heaven. And he ascended back to be at the right hand of the Father. He is proclaimed in heaven now as King of kings and Lord of lords, owns everything in the universe, created everything that is, was, and is to come. Yet his greatest desire is you. I desire. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me. He uses this phrase three other times in this chapter. Chapter 17, verse 2, he says, As you have given him, speaking, God, Jesus speaking about himself, as you have given me authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And verse 6 He says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. And in verse 12, he says, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. Jesus says that God gave us to him. That is, we belong to Jesus. Listen to John 10. Verse 27 through 30. Jesus says, My sheep, my possessive sheep, hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Listen, when you belong to Jesus nobody can make you unbelong to him you're his no man can snatch them out of my hand my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand so picture this You have been given to Jesus. Jesus says, I placed you in my hand. No man can snatch you out again. And my Father is greater than all. And we are in the Father's hands and no man can take you. So you're doubly wrapped. You're wrapped in the hands of Christ and the hands of God. And if God is for you and you belong to Him, who can be against you and dispossess you? Nobody. My desire is that those you gave me 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians actually, Paul was addressing the church because they were so divided and they were arguing over whose camp they were in. They were a factious church. Some said, Well, we follow Peter. Some said, Well, we follow the Apostle Paul. Some said, Well, we follow this other leader, Apollos. And Paul says, Who are any three of us? We're just men. We're not anybody to follow. We're not, we're, we, you don't belong to any one of us. I didn't baptize any one of you in my name. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 3.23. He says, but you are Christ's. You see, you're not Peter's, you're not Paul's, you're not Paul's. You're not anybody's, but Christ. You belong to Him. Colossians 3.3 3 says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You belong to Him. Again, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 16, and chapter 6, verse 3 say the same thing. My beloved is mine, and I am His. I am my beloved's, and He is mine. I belong to Him. He belongs to me. Jesus said, I desire, Father, that those you gave me, you are His. That's why He desires you. Now, how did you become His? Well, there's two rites of how you became His. First of all, He created you. You were born into this world. And secondly, He saved you. You were born again, if indeed you have been born again. Have you been born again? Have you been saved? Jesus says, I know my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Are you one of his sheep? You see, when Christ comes again, he's going to separate the sheep, that is those who are his, from the goats, that is those who are not his. Are you a sheep or a goat? And I'm not talking about how you smell. Because they both stink. It's not the quality. It's what Jesus has done in your heart, in your life. Has he saved you? You say, I don't know. Have you asked him to? Have you admitted that you need to be saved? That you're lost? That you're headed to hell because of your sin? And that the only way that you can escape hell and make it to heaven is by what Jesus Christ came to do? That is, he was born, he lived a perfect, sinless, holy life, he was crucified as a criminal on Calvary's cross, he shed his own blood so that you could be forgiven. Have you acknowledged that to Him? Have you believed that that Christ who died was buried and three days later He was resurrected? You see, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you've believed upon Him, you've asked Him to save you and forgive you, you've given Him your life, then you are His. The Father gave you to Him. And Jesus says, Father, I desire that those who You gave Me He says, be with me where I am. That's what Jesus desires. He desires that you be with him. Now just think about that for a moment. Why would Jesus want me to be with him? He's holy. He's perfect. The sinless son of God. He was tempted, the Bible says, just like all of us, yet he never sinned. When's the last time you sinned? We sin often, don't we? We're not. We don't behave righteously. Why would Jesus want to hang out with me? That's right. He loves us. He desires you to be with Him right now. Listen to John 14. You remember, this is his his conversation with his disciples before he's leaving. He said, Let not your heart be troubled. Interesting that he started this whole private conversation the same way he ended it, with trouble. Let not your heart be troubled. That's how he started this discourse, and he ends it in verse 33. In this world, you will have trouble. Don't let your heart be troubled. Why? Because I've overcome the world. You see the bookends here of this discourse? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go, I'm leaving here, Jesus is saying, to prepare a place for you. And I go to prepare that place. And if I go and prepare that place for you, I will come again come again. Christmas is about his coming the first time. He says, I will come again and receive you. Where does he say to heaven? We assume that's what he's talking about there. But what does he say there? I will receive you where to myself. You see, there's a clue there, there's a hint there, and it's quite obvious. It's more than a hint, more than a clue. It's obvious if you're looking at it, is that it's not so much about heaven. It's not so much about the place. It's about the person. I will receive you to myself. That where, what does he say? I am there, you may be also. Jesus is what makes heaven, heaven. He wants you to be with him. Now and forever. 1 Thessalonians 4, we read the passage there about what we call the rapture or the snatching away of, of God's people out of this world. And he closes that in verse 17, Paul does. He says, thus shall we always be with the Lord. That's the greatness of a relationship with Jesus is that we get to be with Him here. No, we don't get to see him here. We, we don't get to put, lay our eyes upon him. And, and most of us don't ever hear him audibly with our ears. We're not able to touch him with our hands, but we can be with him here. But one day we will be with him in heaven. We will be able to see him, touch him, hear his voice. But hear this it is the desire of Christ that we be with him forever. Do you long to be with him? You remember I asked you at the beginning of this message, what's your greatest desire? Do you long to be with Him? You know, if you long to be with Christ, it will be expressed in how you live your life here. That you will spend time with Him here. You know, people that say they want to go to heaven where it's all about being with God forever and ever but they don't read their Bible, they don't pray, they don't talk to the Lord, they don't sit with Him and be still and quiet. They're always talking, listening, watching, hearing, never still and quiet, enjoying the presence of the Lord. Why would you want to go to heaven and do that forever? You don't do it now. He longs to be with you forever. He longs that you long to be with Him here and forever. May that be true of me. May that be true of you. And then He closes, or He says this lastly in that prayer. Father, I desire that they whom you gave me may be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which you've given me. Jesus wants you to be with Him, and He wants you to see Him as He really is. His desire is for you to know Him as He really is, to know Him fully, to know Him completely, to behold His glory that was given to Him by the Father. John seventeen five. Jesus said something similar. He said, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus is saying, I was preexistent with the Father before he ever created anything. And I want, the, I want them to see me as the preexistent Lord of Lords, King of Kings. I want them to know me as I truly am. We got a hint of that at the, Christ, at the first coming of Christ, that... Christmas, the first Christmas, Luke 2, 9. The Bible says, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before these shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. And they sh- the angels made this proclamation, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. They declared the glory of Jesus Christ. And then Simeon made this proclamation. He said that Jesus was a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. And Jesus was the glory of God's people, Israel. In John 1.14, the gospel writer said that, that the word of God, Jesus Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But that glory in the physical body, that little baby, that man... It was only a peak, only a glimpse of the full manifestation of Jesus' glory. When He comes back, when He comes again, we're going to see the world is going to see the fullness of His glory. It's prophesied Jesus spoke of this himself in Matthew chapter 24 in verse 30. Jesus said, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heavens with power and great glory. In chapter 25, verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. You see, Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ is the express image of the glory of God. When you're looking at Jesus, you're looking at God. But see, when he was here on earth, they couldn't see the fullness of God. They saw a man. And that's why, that's why they rejected him. This man claimed to be God. They couldn't see his glory outwardly. And so they rejected him. They crucified him as a blasphemer. But one day, we're going to see his full glory. That's what God, Jesus was praying for. Lord, let my followers see who I really am in the fullness of my glory. In fact, 1 Peter 5, five eleven repeats, uh, is actually just one place where you'll hear this repeated throughout the Scriptures. To Jesus, or to Him, be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Listen to the song of heaven. If we could open heaven now and just hear what's going on in heaven, we might hear something like this from Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And then in chapter 21 of Revelation, verse 23 and 24, he says that the city, the heavenly city, Jerusalem, had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor to it. You see, if we could just see Jesus for who he is, one day we will. One day we will see him in the fullness of his glory. He gave Peter, James, and John a glimpse, a brief glimpse. Do you remember where they were? He took them up on the mountain of transfiguration. It wasn't called the mountain of transfiguration. It was just a mountain. Jesus took those three of them up there, and it says he was transfigured before them. The word transfigured there in the Greek is the word metamorphoses. Do you know what animals metamorphosize in this world? Butterflies. And frogs. Think about us. Well, they're not so slimy, but these caterpillars, these creepy crawly things, go through this process called metamorphosis and become a beautiful butterfly. But they were, they had that in them all along. It was created in them from the day they were created. That little slimy tadpole, even before it was a tadpole. But it, it goes through that process of metamorphosis and becomes this gorgeous bullfrog. <laughs> it's only gorgeous if you're a Cajun because you look at those long legs and you just want to fry them and eat them. <laughs> but that bullfrog was in that tadpole. You see, when they were looking at Jesus, they didn't see the glory of God. But Jesus took him up on that mountain and gave him a glimpse. He, it was transfigured before them. He became dazzling white. Moses and Elijah appeared talking with Jesus, and it so freaked these three guys out that they fell down on their faces and and trembled, thinking they were about to die in the presence of the awesomeness of the glory of God. You see, we can't handle that now. We're only human, but one day we're going to be given a glorified body and we'll be able to handle the fullness of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus is praying for, Lord. My desire is that those you gave me be with me where I am so they can see me as you made me. Jesus wasn't made, but as the glory you've given me. Every Christmas we celebrate is a reminder that Jesus is coming again to reveal His glory and to receive us to Himself. You know Bible prophecy... Some of the greatest encouragement and hope today is found in prophecy. The Old Testament is saturated with prophecies concerning the Christmas, the first coming of Christ. Both Testaments, the Old and New Testament are filled with references to the second coming of Christ. That is where he comes back to earth. You know he's coming back to earth. You know he's going to establish his kingdom here on earth. He's going to rule and reign here. One scholar estimated that there are over 1,845 references to Christ's second coming in the Old Testament. In the 260 chapters of the New Testament, there are 318 references to the second coming of Christ. An amazing one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament are about Christ's second coming. 23 of the 27 New Testament books refer to the second coming of Christ. In fact, for every prophecy concerning His first coming Christmas, there are eight which look to His second coming. Wouldn't you say that if Christmas happened for sure, that Jesus came for sure the first time, and it was prophesied, but there are eight times more prophecies about his second coming. Don't you think that it's eight times more likely <laughs> that he's coming back <laughs> and he's not gonna leave us here? There's hope, there's joy that ought to fill the heart of every believer. And we ought to do something, we ought to be looking forward to his appearing. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4 8, there's three things here. He says, the Bible says, three things. We ought to love, his appearing. Paul said that. He said, the time of my departure is at hand, and there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will give, but not only to me also, but to those who love his appearing. What does it mean to love his appearing? It means that you just can't wait to see him. Have you ever been separated from your loved one for a long period of time? Now look, y'all know I just had a grandbaby, right? If y'all hadn't heard that, I'm a granddaddy by now, and my wife's a grandmother. She is three weeks old today, right? Three weeks. You know, we saw her every day of her life for the first week. This week, the third week, I think I missed three days in a row. I was about to die. (laughs) I missed it three days. You can't wait to see him. Is that how you feel about Jesus? Love his appearing. Titus 2.13 says, we look for his appearing. It says, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. They were looking for. It. See these three wise men, we're gonna watch that movie tonight. They saw his star in the east and they were looking for his. Where is this child that this star speaks of? They were looking for him. All the prophets that had prophesied were living in anticipation and, and looking for his first coming. So many people missed it, though, because he didn't come as they had expected. He came as a baby, not as a king. He came meek, not as a conqueror. He came humble and poor, not as a wealthy person. And I think there's been a lot of people that are going to miss his second coming too because they're not ready. They're not looking. And then he said in 1 Corinthians 1-7 that we're, we ought to be longing for his appearing here's what he says that we ought to be eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ eagerly waiting loving looking and longing for his appearing think about that child that you have in your home or that grandbaby that you have or maybe that niece or that nephew that's still little they can't wait for next monday morning They're about to die. Some of you remember that, don't you? You remember that anticipation. Longing for Christmas morning. That's how we're to be for Christ's second coming. You see, His first coming points us to His second coming. While on a South Pole expedition, British explorer Sir Ernest Shackleton left a few men on Elephant Island. Promising that he would return. Later, when he tried to go back, huge icebergs blocked the way. But suddenly, as if by a miracle, the avenue opened and Shackleton was able to get through the ice. And he found his men ready and waiting. And they quickly scrambled aboard the boat. No sooner had the ship cleared the island than the ice crashed back together right behind them. Contemplating on their narrow escape, the explorer Shackleton said to his men, It was fortunate that you were all packed and ready to go. We never gave up hope, they replied. Whenever the sea was clear of ice, we rolled up our sleeping bags and reminded each other, the boss may come today. Are you packed and ready? He may come today. That little baby caught them by surprise 2,000 years ago. Jesus says His second coming is going to be like a thief in the night. Are you ready? You've heard the word Maranatha, have you not? It's a Syriac expression, and it means this. Our Lord comes. In fact, it was used as a greeting in the early church, in the first century church, when believers gathered or they parted. We gather when we greet one another, we say, good morning, good afternoon, hello, how are you? The early believers used this word as a greeting, Maranatha, Maranatha. When they left, Maranatha, Maranatha, they were reminding each other, our Lord's coming, our Lord's coming, our Lord is coming, Maranatha. Sounds a lot like Merry Christmas. Maranatha. Let's bow our heads together.